Welcome to training from Scott Ross Online. Scott Ross is a highly sought after and internationally acclaimed personal development and leadership coach who speaks to more than 50,000 people a year. The same strategies he's taught top executives are available to you through programs like this one. We encourage you to take notes and listen to this audio multiple times for maximum results. And now, here's Scott. Welcome, everybody, to the Scott Ross Leadership Podcast. This is episode number 93. We're excited to have you with us. And uh, before I dive into this week's content, which is going to be the culmination of a series we've been doing. We're going to wrap that series up this week. Before I do that, I just wanted to uh, share some stuff with you guys and elicit your cooperation and uh, partnership. Uh, I got an official notice uh, yesterday from iTunes that uh, this podcast is now the number 441st ranked podcast in the management and marketing uh, subcategory of the iTunes podcast world. So we, uh, we're in the top 500 out of all the tens of thousands of podcasts that are out there that have to do with anything related to business. And so that's pretty exciting. Uh, but when I look at the list of uh, who is above us, who is higher than 441, you know, I'm thinking... Uh, we should be we should be higher than this. I mean, there's a there's a real chance we could uh, you know at some point maybe crack the top 100 podcasts um, under the marketing and management subcategory on iTunes, and so. I wanted to ask you for your partnership because, you know, we're a bunch of leaders here on this uh, podcast. I mean, we're we're people who are movers and shakers. We're influencers. We're out there changing the world, making a big impact in people's lives. And hopefully we're doing some things on this podcast that are adding a lot of value. And so we should be able to uh, move that number up a little bit. And I've set a goal that uh, we would actually be in the top 200 by Christmas of this year. So we'd have to move up 200. 141 spots for that to happen. And uh, there's some things you could do that could help out. And, uh, you know, uh, if you don't feel like doing this, you know, no worries whatsoever. Um, I would appreciate your partnership on this. First thing is um, our podcast is one of the few that has zero reviews or ratings on iTunes. There's a way to give something a, you know, a one to five star uh, rating, five star being perfect or the best and one being it's terrible. And then, of course, you can write a review. If you think about it or you have an opportunity, be cool to go out and uh, you know rate the rate the podcast as five stars and write a quick review of something that's added value to you from the podcast. Another thing is if you haven't subscribed, please do that. And uh, you know if you're not uh, an iPhone user or you're not in the Apple universe, if you happen to be on Android, you can do that by going to scottrossonline.com and there is an Android subscription button that'll walk you through the process to subscribe that way. Um, but uh, um, if you could subscribe, that would be terrific. And then last but not least, I would just, uh, you know, shamelessly plug here, please share this podcast with your friends, with your coworkers, with the people in your team, with the people in your world, you know, share it with your pastor, share it with any leaders in your life that you think could gain some benefit. And in the show notes for this particular episode, I will post the link that is what you would share with them. Like if you wanted to post it to Twitter or to Facebook or send it in a text message, I will post the link that you would share with them for them to subscribe. So you would find that in the show notes, which is going to be at scottrossonline.com slash 93. And it's the number not spelled out. It's just the number 93. 
and you can get to the show notes that way and then get that link and copy and paste it. So if you could share the podcast, that would be terrific. So congratulations to all of you who have made this a top 500 podcast. Excited about that. And uh, we're going to try to get into the top 200 by the end of the year. With that said, let's dive into this week's topic, and we're going to conclude a series. We've been in a series called Lies That Leaders Tell Themselves, Lies Leaders Tell Themselves, and we've done three parts so far. Again, you can find the archives for that on scottrossonline.com or in the iTunes store. But we're going to dive into part four, and I'm going to cover two kind of big topics in this one. We've been doing three lies per episode, but we're going to conclude with just two more. And of course, there's a a number of other lies we could get into, but these are just kind of the low-hanging fruit. And so today, I want to get into two lies, and the first one I want to talk about is the lie that says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is an attitude that, again, as all lies do, has a kernel or a nugget of truth to it. There are elements of your life or elements of your society that are designed well and probably don't need a lot of tweaking and a lot of, you know, um, experimentation. But when it comes to leadership and when it comes to the environments in which we lead, and that could be in the business world, that could be in sales and marketing, that could be in the nonprofit world, it could be within your church. When it comes to leading an organization and organizational effectiveness, the concept of it ain't broke, don't fix it is one of the most dangerous lies you can tell yourself. You know, it is natural for us to be reluctant to mess with a winning formula, but it is that reluctance, it is that fear of messing with the formula that is the danger because the underlying assumptions behind it ain't broke, don't fix it are all wrong. See, the the underlying assumption starts with the fact that I've mastered the game I'm playing. And the issue is that you could have mastered the game you're playing and the game is no longer that game. The game you've mastered is no longer what everyone is playing. It's no longer what the marketplace is doing. You know, if you're a church today and you're trying to operate under the same assumptions and the same strategies that churches used in the 1970s or 80s, it's not going to work. If you're a sales and marketing organization and you're approaching your prospects with the same tried formulas that were used to teach salespeople back in the 50s and 60s, it's not going to work. You have a much more sophisticated buyer, a much more crowded marketplace. You have a lot of factors at play. So if you've mastered a game, understand that game you've mastered is probably not even the game that's still being played. You know, one of the things that I realized in my life is I was an employee of a large corporation and I had mastered that game. I was making a very high income. I had climbed the corporate ladder. And then what I started to recognize, and this is speaking for me personally, I'm not saying anything about anyone who has a job and loves their job, but I started to realize that there was a completely different game out there that was being played by entrepreneurs who were having way more fun, making way more money, and having a way bigger impact in people's lives. And I started to realize, wow, I think that the game I'm playing is a big deal and 
I'm just playing the completely wrong game here. You know, I've used sports analogies many times, and this is a perfect place for them. Um, you know, my favorite sport is NFL football. And one of the things that's fascinating about the NFL and about the game of American football in general is that it is a constantly evolving concept. The game of football is this game of chess, and it's it's chess that's super intricate because it's chess at many, many levels. And I won't bore you with that. I could talk for days about the game of football and how it evolves and all the moving parts. But one thing is true. It is never the same. And, you know, my favorite team, you can boo as soon as I say it, it's good, be a hater, uh, is the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, the Dallas Cowboys have a player in their history named Bob Hayes. His nickname was Bullet Bob Hayes. He was a, a an Olympic sprinter, and he came into the NFL as a wide receiver, and he changed the game of football forever because at that point, Everything was played by putting a man on a man. Well, you would put a man on Bob Hayes, and he would literally just run by him. And the quarterback would just throw the ball as far as he could, and Bob Hayes would catch it, and it was a touchdown every single time. There was nothing a defense could do to stop it. So what the defense has had to do was evolve and create what is now known as zone defenses. They started putting men over the top of a, of a receiver. So two men are covering two different zones. Changed the game forever. You had a guy named Bill Walsh, who was a genius, who became the coach of the San Francisco 49ers, and he turned passing into a running game. And he took the vertical nature of the passing game out, and he created a horizontal passing game that changed everything. Right now, if you're an NBA basketball fan, you're seeing the same kind of evolution. We have the advent of what is being referred to as small ball. It was perfected by Greg Popovich at the Spurs, and today the Golden State Warriors are the epitome of a small ball team. Five players on the court, none of which are over six foot nine, all of which can shoot the three-point shot changes the game. My point of saying this is if you were a football team and you were the best defense in football before Bob Hayes and you refused to change, you suddenly became the worst team almost overnight. If you were a team that was built to stop the running game, you had big linemen, big linebackers, and then Bill Walsh shows up with guys who are going to run all over the field and take little two and three uh, yard passes passes and make that the running game, suddenly your strong, big, bulky defense is obsolete. This is what happens in the business world as well. One of my favorite books of all time is a book called Only the Paranoid Survive, and it was written by a man named Andy Grove. Now, Andy Grove was one of the co-founders, and he became the CEO of Intel Corporation. And we all know of Intel as being the chips that are inside almost every computer in the world, or I should say every personal computer in the world. And when Intel was emerging, they were emerging in an environment that was dominated by some very big players. They were There was an environment that was dominated by IBM at the time, and then there's a, a company that many of the people who are listening right now have never heard of called Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC. But DEC, DEC, they were one of the largest corporations in the world. And when the personal computer started to emerge, these big, giant companies who were making mainframe computers, they didn't give it enough credit 
credit. They discounted the viability of the personal computer. In fact, the CEO of IBM is famously uh, known for saying that there will only be a need for five total computers in the world. That's all we'll ever need is five. Well, Andy Grove talks about the fact that that moment in history was the representation of, and I'm going to use a really big set of words here. Don't worry, I'll explain it. What's called a strategic inflection point. See, a strategic inflection point is a moment in history where everything changes. Everything immediately turns on a dime. And that was what was happening with the personal computer. And because these giant organizations who were making billions of dollars and they were the best in the world at what they did, because they were saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, they were absolutely left in the dust. And it took IBM a really, really long time to recover. They almost didn't survive. DEC didn't survive. And a lot of other corporations that you probably haven't heard of did not survive. Corporations like Texas Instruments had to completely retool and barely survived. So the whole point of the only the paranoid survive is we've got to be paranoid of these strategic inflection points. And we've got to always be looking for what is the next evolution. And we should be leading those evolutions rather than trying to survive once we've gotten left behind because we were unwilling to consider change unwilling to consider innovation. See, MySpace gets replaced by Facebook. Yahoo gets replaced by Google. As recently as 1997, Kodak Corporation was one of the largest companies in the world. And in 1997, almost 100% of photographs taken in the world were printed on a piece of paper. When the first cell phone cameras came out, people laughed at them. It was a joke. Who would want a camera on their phone? Ha, ha, ha. Look how terrible the pictures are. No one will ever take this seriously. Well, changed everything. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's dangerous. So there's a lot of lessons to consider from this as a leader. So let's just go through some of these. And if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write some of these things down. First question we want to be asking ourselves, and by the way, we want to be asking ourselves questions all the time. If you're not involved in a discipline of reflection, please go look up the podcast that is on reflection. In fact, I'm going to make a note to myself um, to put that podcast link in the show notes on Scott Ross Online. Uh, dot com slash 93. Uh, Go look up the podcast on reflection and the discipline of reflection, because we should have a moment of reflection every day at a minimum every week where we're thinking, because the thing that separates us from every other being in the world is our ability to think. And it's the one thing that most humans never do. They never just sit and think. So we want to be thinking and we want to be asking these kinds of questions while we're thinking. Excuse me. First question. Do I have an innovator's mindset? Do I, the leader, have an innovator's mindset? So, for instance, am I questioning my own assumptions? This involves asking another question, which are which is, what are my assumptions? We should make a list of all the things we're assuming. That is why we're deciding what we're deciding and why we're doing what we're doing. And am I questioning those assumptions? How long has it been since I questioned those assumptions? How could we fill in the blank? How could we reach more customers? Brainstorm that. 
Make yourself answer that question. How could we improve our process to blank? For instance, how could we improve our processes to train our people? How could we improve our processes to create more leadership in the team? How could we improve our ability to retain the customers that we've got? These are things that we should be asking as leaders all the time. We should have an innovator's mindset. Another thing is, where am I seeing failure in my organization. There may be really low-hanging fruit that is opportunity for innovation there. The second big picture question after do I have an innovator's mindset is, do I have an environment for innovation? You know, are your people even able to innovate in the environment that you've created? For instance, do they have a mechanism to provide suggestions? Do they have a mechanism to pre, uh, present innovative ideas to the leadership? Is it safe for them to bring that innovation to the table? Or is that frowned upon? Is that, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Get back to wherever you came from and just keep doing what you're doing. We'll call you if we need you. If that's the environment, you're not going to get innovative ideas. And you know, keep in mind, all of us is smarter than any one of us. I don't care if you're the uber genius. When you put more than one person in the room, there's always going to be more brain power. And then last but not least, just keep this in mind. Ask yourself, how paranoid am I? Only the paranoid survive. You may examine what you're doing during these reflection moments and find, hey, actually, I am doing pretty well. We've actually been innovating. We did this new idea. Or we've implemented this new procedure or we have you know, noticed this in the marketplace and made the appropriate changes. You may come away feeling good, but at least you've gone through the exercise. And when you're going through that exercise, you're going to probably find some opportunity. And at that point, you've got to be courageous. Sometimes you have to remember that we have to let go of lesser things to take hold of greater things. The only constant in the world is change. And those who try to resist it are fighting a battle they will never win. Have courage. Be clear-eyed. Pure heart. And say, okay, this is definitely an area where even though we're doing okay, the writing's on the wall, we could do better. And if we don't change, it could go downhill. We could lose what we've already got. So don't tell yourself the lie. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's an ever-evolving marketplace, an ever-evolving world, and we as leaders have to be the catalysts for preparing our organizations, positioning our organizations, and basically securing our organizations against the change that is inevitable. With that said, let's dive into the last lie we're going to cover in this series, and that is the lie that says, I have to be right. I have to be right. Or some people probably would not be as arrogant to say that out loud, maybe not even in their own mind, but in their mind they would think, I have to appear to be right. This is a lie that is based in insecurity because it assumes that your leadership is founded on the perception that you're superhuman. And of course, you're not superhuman. I'm not superhuman. There's only been one superhuman guy in the history of the world. So nobody listening to this podcast is that person. 
So if we think our leadership is based on the appearance that we're superhuman, we're delusional. Our leadership is going to be based on a lot of other factors that we've covered in this podcast previously and that we'll cover in the future. The primary one being the level of value that we add to other people's lives, the degree to which we serve other people. If your people are following you because they think you're superhuman, Maybe that exists for a short period of time, and in very short order, that illusion is going to go away. I mean, I feel bad for the people who have to be around me very long because my flaws are so many, and they show up so quickly. It's remarkable that anyone would even follow me to, I don't know, the next like fast food joint to get a sandwich. I have no illusions about the fact that my leadership is not based on me being perfect. And if you're trying to make it based on being perfect, I'm just telling you, it is a, you can't maintain it. You can't maintain the illusion. And if that's what you're working on, everything's going to crumble. So people think if I don't appear to be right, people may not follow me. People aren't following you because you're right. People follow you because of who you are, because of your character, and because of your vision, and because of your value and your service. They follow you because you present a powerful vision of where you're going and instill confidence that you are actually somebody who could pull it off. So, here's some things you can do as a leader instead of having to always appear to be right. One, start with why. Start with why. Two, lead with why. And three, finish with why. People want to follow someone who knows where they're going. And they may make make mistakes along the way, but if where they're going is worth going to, and if it seems like they're going to do everything in their power to honestly bring as many people to that destination as possible, there will be a lot of people who decide to go on that journey. So what we need to do as leaders is never lose sight of the fact that the only reason people are coming with me is because they have bought in to wanting to end up at the destination that I have described. Well, I'll just ask you, have you even described a destination or are you just wandering around just like in circles? Like they don't even really know where you're going. If you haven't started with why, it's going to be hard to keep people with you. And then as you're doing things, constantly remind people of why you're doing what you're doing, where you're going. You know, for instance, we have an ingredient in what I do that involves People are getting trained and constantly developing their skills and constantly growing. And sometimes this doesn't sound appealing to the new person in our organization. And we might say to them, we really need you to plug into this program or this leadership development process or into this training event. And they may think, well, I don't, man, I've been to stuff like that, but I don't really want to do that. Well, we need to be reminding them why we do that. The why behind it is what's going to get them to take action. And you know what we also need to do? Be reminding the leaders who are reminding those people of the why of the bigger why. We got to lead with why and then finish with why. Why in the beginning? Why in the middle? Why at the end? If you're doing that, you're going to keep people on the path with you. The second reason they follow you, like I said, is because you add value. I would just ask you, if we were to poll the 20 people you've interacted with the most over the last 30 days, could they give me specific examples of ways you have added value to their life? 
un, um, not asked, un, just spontaneously. We want to always be adding value. Going back to the reflection idea, you should be asking yourself during your reflection time on a daily basis at a minimum a weekly basis, who could I add value to today or who could I add value to this week and what are the specific practical ways that I could do that? This attitude of I've got to appear right is going to destroy your leadership because it's going to destroy the growth in your people. See, there's going to be two responses to this attitude. The first one is if they actually believe your charade that, you know, you're perfect, they're going to sabotage themselves. Why? Because they aren't perfect and they know they're not perfect. And since you've created this perceived standard of perfection in order to be a leader, they're going to disqualify themselves. They're going to say, well, I can't be perfect like she's perfect. So since she's perfect and I'm not, the only reason she gets to be the leader is she's perfect. I'm not perfect. Therefore, I can't be the leader. Therefore, I'm out. I'm done. And now you've got an unmotivated member of your team that's going to stagnate. This is not good. They need to see that you've got flaws, that you've got bumps and bruises and warts, and you know what? You can still lead through all of it, that God uses broken, sinful people who are still in the process of sanctification in order to bless the world. It's just a reality. They need to see that in you. Number two, if they see through your charade which 99% of the time will happen, it's going to rob you of your credibility and influence because you have tried to create this charade that you're perfect and all of a sudden they're going to know, well, they're not. And you're going to seem hypocritical. You're going to seem fabricated. You're going to seem two-dimensional. And a byproduct is you're never, ever going to receive feedback. I mean, um, you know, I think we've all probably seen there's a famous comedy routine that exists in sitcoms and movies where, you know, there's an assistant to the boss and the boss has something really embarrassing going on. Like maybe their fly is open right before they're going to walk up and give a big speech or they got toilet paper stuck to their shoe or there's like a spider crawling on their shoulder. But the assistant has been chastised to the point that they're afraid to actually say anything to the boss. And so it's funny. We get to watch the boss. The assistant wants to say the thing, but they can't say the thing. And so the boss is going through the motions, not knowing that something's funny that we know as the audience. We've all seen that comedy routine. Well, it's super funny in a sitcom. Not so funny in the real world. When we have to appear as if we're above everybody else and we're above any feedback they may give us and that we're always right. And they, you know, even if we're wrong, we're right. What we're going to end up doing is instead of having a comedy, we're going to have a tragedy. And that's not something we want. One of the fastest ways to build credibility is to confess mistakes and confess errors and model what it looks like to confess with confidence and Humility. Now, you may think those things don't go together, confidence and humility. Actually, they always go together. Pride doesn't flow from strength. 
Pride flows from insecurity. Humility is actually power that is under control. In fact, the biblical word in the Greek for humility is the same word that was used to describe thoroughbred horses or lions that would compete in the arena. And these horses are just rippling with muscle, and they are unbelievably gorgeous, strong animals, and yet they operate under the direction of their master. That is the picture of humility. It is power and strength under control. We as leaders demonstrate way more power and strength with by confessing our errors and confessing our mistakes and owning them than we do if we try to pretend we never made a mistake. All that shows is insecurity and weakness. So, you know, as I just say a little side note here, as a parent, this is a big deal. I mean, um, I would like to think, and uh, you know, I've tried to be the kind of parent that is very quick to confess my errors and mistakes to my children. When they see something that is maybe hypocritical in me, or I've made a mistake, or I've gotten mad about something that I shouldn't have, or I've acted in a way that was not very edifying, I want to be the kind of person who says, Dad, your dad made a big mistake there. I'm really, really sorry. I hope that you will forgive me. Um, That's not who I want to be, or whatever the case may be, whatever is appropriate for that situation. And you know what? I'm demonstrating to my children what it looks like to be transparent and to be someone who confesses your mistakes so that you can create, you know, unity. There can't be unity with people who are not transparent and relationship flows out of that level of transparency. And that's a whole nother fruit of being someone who is willing to confess with the people you lead is that you will build a lot of transparency and you'll build a lot of relationship and a lot of unity. And in that, you're going to get a lot of performance. So with that said, guys, we got these two lies. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh, I got to appear to be right. We don't want to make either of those lies. I'm going to post a bunch of stuff in the show notes under scottrossonline.com slash 93. That's the number 93. Um, I'm going to put the link to that podcast on reflection. I'm also going to put a link to Andy Grove's book, Only the Paranoid Survive. So um, I, I'm also going to put a link to uh, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. I uh, I talked about that a lot in that last lie, so that might be some good resources for you. Uh, Once again, please share this with your friends, family members, and if you could, um, write a review and rate us on iTunes. That'd be super helpful. We're going to try to get this sucker into the top 200. I hope this has a lot of value. Next week, we're going to start a brand new topic, and it's going to be really exciting. Until then, guys, keep raising your leadership lids. I'm really proud of you for the growth that you're uh, investing in. God bless you. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you have enjoyed this audio program. For more resources to further your development as a world-class leader and for success strategies and tactics in all areas of your life, please visit scottrossonline.com. And be sure to connect with Scott on Facebook and Twitter using the ID at scottrossonline.